This is the Cultural Connections Podcast. On today's episode, we are joined by Chris Fussner, CEO and founder of TransTech. This episode is being recorded live on Tuesday, January 5th, 2021. Alrighty, good evening, everyone. Hello, and welcome to the Cultural Connections Podcast. My name is Brian Ives, and I am the producer and host of the Cultural Connections Podcast. Before I introduce our guests this evening, I want to remind our viewers that we are recording this episode live on Tuesday. On Tuesday, January 5th, we are recording this episode live on Tuesday, January 5th, 2021. And we are actually excited to announce that we are not just doing really one episode this evening. After this podcast tonight, stay with us live starting at 8 o'clock as we're going to have live coverage of the Georgia Senate runoff elections. We're going to be looking at all the results as they come in starting live at 8 o'clock. So that begins at 8. But right now from 7 to 7.45-ish, we'll be live with our guest. So without further ado, let me introduce you to um, our guest tonight. And also just to be clear, this live feed is live live on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And then following tonight's broadcast, if you are not viewing us live, it'll also be available on Instagram for viewing and then on listening platforms such as uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, in addition to as well being able to be viewed on New TV in Newton, Massachusetts, as well as many of your other favorite uh, podcasting platforms. So again, without further ado, it's my pleasure to introduce our guest. Our guest this evening is Chris Fussner. Chris is the CEO and founder of Trans Technology Corporation based out of Singapore. Um, Trans Tech is a major distributor of surface mount technology and semiconductor equipment. Thank you, Chris, for joining me today. Hello, greetings and good morning from Singapore. It's now 8.06 in the morning here, so ready to go. Uh, Singapore is a great place to be. Uh, They're doing a great job with uh, COVID-19. The uh, community cases are next to zero, and there's quote-unquote imported cases, people that have been returning from overseas, which are quarantined as I was. And you get uh, quarantined. If you're lucky, you get quarantined in a five-star hotel, like the Grand Hyatt. And uh, if you're unlucky, well, anyhow, uh, it was a great time. And I've been here since uh, July. And uh, it's very different for me. Usually every two weeks, I'm on a plane going somewhere doing something, either for work or for my my work with the Republican Party or for fun or scuba diving or whatever, but it's no plane rides. So we've all learned to adapt. Uh, I, I go to a personal trainer three times a week. So getting healthy, you know, never, never, never waste a, a good pandemic. So uh, anyhow. So it's good to be here. Thank you again. And that gets a great segue into basically I'm going to have you introduce because I I could easily go through every list of your background and go through everything, but that would take up the entire 43 minutes. So I'm going to let you uh, tell our viewers a little bit about yourself uh, before we go further in depth on, on on all the different hats you wear as you already started to 
talk just a little bit about. Uh, so why don't we start with you giving us a summary about your background first? Oh, where do I begin? Where do I begin? Uh, Education-wise, uh, I went to Maria Regina High School in Long Island. I grew up in Long Island. Uh, my father was a New York City steam fitter, and I was a New York City steam fitter. That's a construction worker that puts pipes in buildings to keep them warm in the winter and air conditioning for the summer. So uh, I went to, I was lucky enough to get into George Washington University and I started studying uh, uh, US history and specifically US economic history. And then I took an epic journey to Asia when I was 20 years old. And I, I traveled throughout, uh, really throughout the Asia. I, I went overland from uh, Europe through Turkey by boat and then Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, lived in Nepal for six months, continued on to uh, uh, Burma, Thailand, Laos, Cambodia, Malaysia, Singapore, then went back to, uh, back to the United States and then when I went back, then I, I changed my direction. I wanted, I started studying Asian affairs and uh, Asian politics and Chinese language. So, and then from there, I took another uh, strange uh, turn. I tried to get a job uh, working in economic development in Asia. But what happened is I got a job with Catholic Relief Services in West Africa and Ouagadougou. Burkina Faso during a famine. And that was pretty interesting. Actually, it was the, the job from heaven and hell. So uh, cornmeal and crucifixes. Uh, so I was there uh, a, a year and a half and then I took another great uh, journey. And I went from uh, Sub-Saharan Africa and crossed uh, uh, Burkina Faso, Niger, and crossed the Sahara Desert into Algeria and Tunisia and went to Egypt and again back again. So that was another great journey. I've, uh, my mother blames it on me reading National Geographic magazines. I've uh, read too many National Geographic uh, magazines. Well, I just want to also remind our viewers that before we do go any further, again, that we are recording this live on Tuesday, January 5th in the evening here in the Boston area, obviously. Well, if you're watching overseas in the Singapore area, then that's Wednesday morning uh, for you. Um, but as a reminder that this is live on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, I am monitoring here next to me on my phone. I'm going to try to alternate between the different live feeds, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Right now, I'm here on Facebook. So anyone that has a question that you'd like answered, right now, I'm looking at Facebook. So if you are looking at the Facebook page, feel free to comment below with any questions you may have, and you may hear your questions answered. And if you're on Twitter or you're on YouTube, feel free to answer, ask your questions below over there as well as we would love to uh we will definitely do our best to answer them and again i'll alternate between all of our three platforms uh throughout the broadcast so that we can uh get your questions answered if you have any so uh without the next question here then is which is your i think your main main big thing and that is your company that you've started and founded uh trans tech can you tell our viewers a little bit more about this company 
So give us a background on it, why you started it, and how it all came to Sure. I, uh, it was 33 years ago, and uh, I sort of wanted to start my own company. So I did it with a number of partners. And, uh, and I started in Taiwan and in Singapore. And it was uh, to distribute electronic manufacturing machinery, etc. Oh, if you hear birds chirping in the background, uh, my daughter has two birds, so they're they're in the cage talking to each other. So I don't know what they're saying. Anyhow, so I set up this company with about uh, fifty-five thousand U.S. dollars, and we were very lucky in that we we got the uh, agency distribution rights for Yamaha Motor and for their robot division, pick and place for a surface mount technology. And we also got Heller Industries for reflow ovens and a few other projects very quickly. And then quickly opened, we had an office here and then we had people in Malaysia and Thailand uh, over the next two years, I bought out my Singapore partner and my Taiwan partner. So then I owned the company uh, 100% uh, by myself. We then uh, expanded into India, China, and Vietnam. And then seven years ago, we expanded into uh, US, uh, Canada, and Mexico. Again, Yamaha asked me to to help them out in those markets. So uh, as you can see, that's why I'm always on a plane going somewhere, <laughs> doing something. So, it's been interesting uh, running your own small business. Uh, it's not so small. Uh, our, our top year, we did $120 million in sales. And that's both in, in Asia and in, in North America. And, uh, and that's uh, during the Apple boom. Uh, after that, the Apple uh, suppliers sort of had their belly full. Apple slowed down a little bit. So, and then COVID-19. So things have slowed down a bit, but this is not my <clears throat> first slowdown. Sure. First slowdown was Asia crisis. Uh, in 1989, uh, where the bot just dropped uh, you know, right through and Asia was in a, a, a huge financial uh, crisis. Next uh, crisis was the dot-com boom, which was boom. And then the year after in 2000 and 2001, it was a dot-com bust. Then you had the great, Amer uh, the great global recession of 08. And then now, of course, you have the great pandemic. So uh, what my company policy is, we keep everyone on the payroll. We cut expenses, we cut salaries, but we don't cut people. Because I, I think it's rather, rather cruel if you ask people to work hard and sacrifice and do the right thing. And then you're in a storm and then it's like, okay, you, Get off the boat, you know. Uh, right. Not, not that many jobs out there, so I think it's important that we keep everyone on board. So, of course, of course. Uh, uh, 
the products I sell, you, you see it in everything you use from a, uh, an Apple phone to LED lights to stereos and airplanes and everything uh, that you can find electronics in cars. Cars are just chock-a-block with, uh, with uh, electronics these days. So. Yeah, very interesting. Well, what I'm going to do now here is so for our viewers that are watching the podcast, if you're listening and this is later on, well, you can envision this in your head. I'm going to share here so people can see here. This is the website um, uh, that uh, you would uh, just be your website, they would, uh, the TransTech website. And I guess while people are here seeing up on screen the website for a minute, uh, my next question to you really would be is, so why, what what led you to the idea of starting it in Asia, specifically in the, starting this company in Singapore? What led to that idea? Uh, it was very simple. I, at that time, I worked for a, a small American electronics company. And uh, at that time, uh, I, well, I lived in South Korea for about three and a half years. And then I, I came to uh, then I came to uh, uh, Singapore, so I was in Singapore. So okay, so All I right. was in Singapore when I started it, and lo and behold, it was a great place to start a company. You can start a company here in one day. Wow. Yeah, it's no bureaucracy. You go. Back then, we didn't have you know you sort of wait in line and you get a you know, business license, you register the company, you get an importer license, you go open a bank account, you're, you're in business. So anyhow. Oh, very interesting. No, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And we started the first year with 300,000 and the second year was a million. And then we had a big jump to 6 million. And then, you know, and it's been up and down. So our best year was 120 million, which was pretty significant. That's incredible. For me. For me. I mean, if you're if you're a huge company, it's not. Right. <laughs> um, okay. Well, as I mentioned at the beginning here, uh, you also wear many hats, as we've mentioned. So it's not just owning your own business. Uh, it, it's almost too many hats to count, almost in a way, it seems. Uh, that includes. Uh, from different philanthropic work you do to uh, to being on many different com uh, committees to being on the board of the Rubin Museum uh, in New York, which we'll get into that one in just a minute. But first, I guess, uh, let's start with what I just mentioned at the first, your philanthropic work. I, I know uh, you've done a lot of work in Nepal with the Jesuit Mobile Medical Clinic. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how, how you did what? led you to starting that to do, uh, launching that sure i mean you know a lot of things in in life is just pure serendipity pure chance so when i was in nepal in 1973 1974 i had cousins of mine who worked in saudi arabia and they were friends with this jesuit priest named father watran who would go to saudi arabia once a year and uh, so when I was going to Nepal, they said, you have to look up Father Watran. And what Father Watran did at that time, he had one uh, mobile clinic that went to one area north of Kathmandu. And uh, 
So then I worked with him to start helping him out with this clinic and, and buying a four wheel drive vehicle and then uh, hire, hire uh, uh, nurses that were actually Catholic sisters, the first one who supervised the, the program, even though most of the sisters, most of the nurses are, are Hindu local Nepalese people. Uh, so that's really how that whole thing started. And then we expanded it, uh, Father Watron passed away and then we expanded it to uh, six and then seven different locations throughout Nepal. It's relatively simple. It's every morning, a four wheel drive vehicle leaves a town in Nepal and generally heads north into the mountains on this little road. And if you would, sometimes the road is, is, is like a, it's almost like a goat track. It's uh, barely enough to get a four wheel drive vehicle in it. And then you go up and then you conduct uh, mobile medical clinics in specific areas. If it's Tuesday, it's one area, another area, another day, it's another area. So, uh, so anyhow, last year we had 147,000 uh, patient visits in seven locations. So uh, it reaches out there and it reaches out to the poorest of the poor. What we don't do inject injectables, we do pills and liquid. Again, it's simple. If we find a, uh, a, a specific case, and many times we do, we refer those to district hospitals, but we keep an eye on the case to make sure that they have food and medicine and they're being taken care of and transportation. So we follow through with the patients. So I usually go there once a year, November, when it's, a, it's sort of cold out, but tourists have gone and it's a nice time to go to, to Nepal. This year, unfortunately, uh, I haven't been there. Of course, of course, of course. Um, okay, well, moving forward along here, I mean, that's, again, one of many hats that you that you seem to be wearing. And I think next, as I started to talk about, you're on many committees, uh, two different organizations related to the Republican Party. Uh, can you tell us a little more, a little bit about those organizations, your involvement with them? Um, and what led you to want uh, getting involved with them being overseas, obviously in Singapore? Well, uh, the first, uh, uh, I used to be head of Republicans abroad for 15 years. And then that, that whole situation changed. But in the meantime, Reince Priebus is the former head of the RNC, who was then first a White House chief of staff. He asked me to, to be the uh, RNC, Republican National Committee representative to the IDU, International Democrat Union. It's a coalition of center-right political parties around the world. And its uh, members are Conservative Party of UK, Liberal Party of uh, Australia, CSU, CDU of Germany, but also uh, member parties in developing countries such as Mongolia, Sri Lanka, established democracies like in uh, 
in, uh, in Ghana and in Korea, <clears throat> and then really threatened democracies such as uh, uh, Belarus, etc. So very interesting. Normally we meet twice a year. So we were supposed to have a meeting in April as guest of the Prime Minister of Austria and also celebrating the 30th year of the, the party's uh, uh, functioning in Austria. Of course, that was canceled. I was supposed to go to Mongolia to celebrate the 30th year of the democracy in Mongolia. That was canceled. And then we had our forum in Washington, D.C. Uh, that was, again, that was changed to be uh, online. But it was, it was interesting moving it online in that we, would, we could have the Prime Minister of Norway, Prime Minister of, uh, of uh, Greece, uh, a Minister of Health from Germany. So we had many people who normally we wouldn't have just because they would have to take, you know, two days, a whole week off to go to Washington. So uh, that was a positive, but you, we missed meeting each other and talking to each other, et cetera, but it still continued. So hopefully next year, uh, then, uh, well, hopefully this year, we can do something hopefully in Q, Q3. We'll see, we'll see. Okay. But it's a very interesting group. Uh, sometimes they have political missions. I was on involved in a political mission to go to Bangladesh because I live in Asia and for me it's, uh, it's easy. Then another organization I'm, uh, associated with IRI, International Republican Institute. Ronald Reagan gave a very important speech in Westminster and you can Google it and go on and Reagan's, uh, Reagan's uh, Westminster speech, where in this speech, he set up the beginnings of IDU and IRI. Now, IRI, International Republican Institute, gets a lot of its funds from AID and from uh, State Department. But there's also another organization called NDI, National Democratic Institute, which is the corresponding uh, entity of the uh, Democratic Party. Many times the two groups work together and uh, they support democracy uh, worldwide, worldwide operations. They do voter uh, observation missions. So I was honored to be on three, one in Mongolia, one in Timor-Leste, and the last one is, was in Tunisia, where you go look at people around the world vote and exercise democracy. Uh, as you know, Mongolia used to be a dictatorship. Uh, Timor-Leste used to be under Indonesia and many lives were lost for their independence. And we all know the Arab Spring started in Tunisia. So these three elections were, were very important and I'm looking forward to do more of this as, uh, as uh, uh, travel permits in the future. But very, very humbling. In Timor-Leste, we, we were assigned this uh, town called uh, Bakao, which was five hours outside of Dili. And we went into farming villages and fishing villages 
and people were uh, dressed in their best clothing, which is a sarong and flip-flops, and waited online to cast their ballot and exercise their democracy. And the mood was sober, somber. It wasn't like in the West where people lined up, they'd be joking. <clears throat> All these people come from the same village, but they were really quite serious about it. And they followed all the rules and all the parties, 24 parties worked together for this. And uh, they, they waited online and, and voted. Quite humbling, quite humbling. Yeah, no, very, very interesting. Wow. Okay, well, as I said, as I keep saying, you wear many hats and then I mentioned earlier about the Rubin Museum, just another thing that another thing on your many things that you, you that you're a part of. Uh, the Rubin Museum, for those that do not know, is out of New York City. I, I've had the opportunity to have you give us a, a, a tour of that museum, a beautiful museum. What what led you of choosing so many different museums? I could say to get involved in what? Why choose the Rubin Museum? Why the Rubin? Well, it goes back to Nepal. Uh, the Rubin Museum specializes in Himalayan art. So this is art from Tibet, uh, Nepal, Ladakh, Bhutan. And, uh, and uh, I, I, the first time I went there, I went, wow, this museum is like for me. And I felt very personally connected to the museum. Uh, and uh, so then I, I started uh, contributing and going to fundraising. And of course, yeah, uh, I was asked to, to be on their, their board of trustees. And, uh, and, and there we go. Museums having a, a rather difficult time now in that with COVID and no tourists and no people, they're not getting enough people visiting. Right. And they're not getting enough revenue. So they've had to have some, some layoffs and, and other, other things there and trying to balance their budget and, and go through there. But as far as possible, they're trying to be active online. Uh, and it's, it's, it's pretty interesting, but I still like going to the museum. It's on, uh, it's on the, uh, 17th Street and uh, 10th Avenue, <clears throat> and it's in the Barney's old building. So you have a beautiful staircase that goes up. So I always uh, I always go to the top floor and then come down. But it's it's just a, a fantastic museum. Mm. So ho hopefully they can per uh, persevere and and move on uh, this year. Uh, and, uh, and make it through these very difficult times. But it's not just the Rubin that's having a problem. It's all the museums all around the world because many of the museums, they depend on, on visitors, contributions, uh, gala events, etc. So. Uh, very interesting. And I mean, again, as our, as our viewers that are watching this right now, if you're watching this, whether it's live here on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube, or later on, if you're watching the rebroadcast on Instagram, uh, you're seeing the website of the Rubin Museum. Mm -hmm. 
in New York City, a definitely worthwhile museum, one of the many probably hidden treasures out of the out of the Big Apple in New York City. Definitely uh, worthwhile to going to check out. Uh, moving forward here, thinking about this, uh, uh, if you had not founded your own um, trans tech, your own company, what do you think you would be doing today? Wow, that is a very good probing question. <clears throat> Uh, I was, at the time I started TransTech, I was offered a job with Adept Robots. And back then, 33 years ago, it was like the hottest American robot company. And I very well could have gone with Adept. It was based in the Bay Area, and I would have had... Uh, I would have been responsible for Asia and Latin America. <clears throat> could have been could have been an interesting thing. I, I could have done that for a while there. You know, I did uh, voluntary agency work. Uh, I got paid for it, but not not a lot. So that's when I was uh, in Burkina Faso during a uh, a famine, distributing food with Catholic Relief Services. Then after that, I was with Church World Service in uh, Malaysia, resettling uh, Vietnamese refugee officers, uh, uh, refugees that boat people that came over. So I, I, I could have continued with, with either, but at that time in my life, I'd probably go with another uh, electronics company. And, and who knows where that would have uh, wound me to. Uh, who knows? So <laughs> Okay, well, I, I guess this could be more of an obvious type question here next is that if you, uh, what, what do you think has been your greatest accomplishment in your life today? I, th I think probably I, I know the answer, but I'll let, I'll let you give the answer to that one. I think the answer might. I think, I think there's two great accomplishments. One is funding Nepal. And, you know, year to date, there must have been 2 million patient visits there. And, and uh, that is, I'm very happy to do that and continue to do that. And uh, you know, it's funny, when I go to Nepal, we have these uh, conferences and uh, the, the sisters and the nurses thank the Jesuits and everyone thanks me and I thank them. But it's really the three, the three legs of the stool that keeps this operation going. It's my funding. It's it's their work and their administration that keeps it going. So, and it's uh, the people that benefit are the people living in the mountains of Nepal. So, anyhow, and they and they don't necessarily know who I am, which is not a bad thing. One day they they put my mother's name on a four wheel drive vehicle, and I said, "Oh, I really don't want any recognition." And then I started thinking about, well, most of the, almost all the people that go to the clinic don't read English. So then I felt better about it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, makes sense. Okay. Um, moving forward then here, thinking about 
you're, I mean, how successful you, you, well, let's move actually in a different direction here. You, you've also had the opportunity practically to travel the whole world. If you're to think about the places you've been and you've been a lot of places, what would be some of your favorite locations that you've been to around the globe? <sighs> wow. Okay. I have a place in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and that's really a very favorite place for me that I know well. Skiing, snowshoeing, cross-country skiing, fishing, hiking, being in the Teton Mountains. It's, it's a beautiful, special place. Uh, aside from that, scuba diving in Indonesia has been fun. Walking around Paris has been fun. Going to museums in Tokyo, it's fun. You know, there's a lot of great places in the world. A lot of going to Machu Picchu in Peru, going to the Galapagos. There's a lot of very fascinating places. Uh, it's very interesting. My mother blames uh, National Geographic. But there's another book I read when I was a kid. It was called How and Why Books. And I, I guess they're not published anymore. I haven't seen them. But it was How and Why of Lost Cities. Hmm. And I still remember. And I visited almost all those lost cities in the world. So you never know what you're going to read when you're eight years old that influences uh, where you go and what you do. Or what gives you uh, somewhat of an adventurous streak and, and go around. <clears throat> uh, my plans, though, I think people that have bucket list, I think that whole bucket list and list and a list, I, I think it's sort of lame, right? Right. <laughs> you know, oh, you know, the top 10, I think it's all lame. But a few places I'd like to go to, one is Malta, and one is because of history. Mm. You know, you have this, uh, the, uh, the siege of Malta and the battle of naval battle of Lepanto, which changed the history of the Mediterranean and the world. Uh, also, it has great museums and architecture, and also because of all the wars fought around it, it has great scuba diving for wrecks. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. So that's I've always wanted to go there. Another place I want to go to is the country of Georgia, not the state of Georgia. I've been there. And hopefully they vote the right way. And the country of Georgia, I'd like to go there because of uh, politics. And, and just, it's a country sort of in a rough neighborhood, I'd have to say. Right. And you know, Georgia and Armenia, and, and then also the culture that, that happened there. And then I was supposed to go sc uh, scuba diving in Raja Ampat and that, uh, uh, in, in Indonesia. That means five kings. It's five beautiful islands in, uh, in far, far eastern uh, Indonesia. So we'll see. 
All very interesting. Well, with the last few minutes that we have, and I also, again, as I, I know I've reiterated this a couple of times here throughout the podcast, I want to remind our viewers that are actually watching this right now. We are recording this episode live on Tuesday, January 5th, 2021. Uh, and if you are watching this currently, it is live on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube immediately following this broadcast or soon thereafter, it will be rebroadcasted on Instagram for viewing and then available on New TV in Newton, Massachusetts, also for viewing along uh, for listening, I should say. I'm sorry for listening, actually, on New TV in Newton, Massachusetts, and uh, also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and your other favorite listening platforms. And if you are watching live with us, please feel free. I'm, I am I am monitoring all three of our social media feeds right here on my phone. So if you, if you think I'm looking off to the side here, it's, I am looking down over at my phone to see if anyone does comment anything. And if you do have questions, any of those fee sources that I just mentioned, feel free to comment on. And I definitely am going back and forth to track but within our last few minutes here, uh, as we slowly reach our time, um, one of the questions I think about is, because you obviously have had so far to today a successful career, in your own words, define success. What do you think success means? Uh, success. It's feeling good about what you've done. There was a Time Magazine edition that came out, oh my God, 20 years ago. And it had all, all the world, all these global business leaders and other leaders' uh, salaries and what they've done. So, of course, you had Bill Gates at that time and how many hundreds of million dollars he makes a year. Then it had uh, Lou Gestetner, who was, used to be head of IBM when IBM was big, and how many millions of dollars he made a year in stock options. But also on that list, you had Mother Teresa. And it had, you know, Mother Teresa responsible for 17,000 Catholic sisters worldwide, uh, um, treating, you know, uh, terminal ill and exceedingly poor people, then it had yearly salary and had a big zero. So that sort of sums it up. I mean, there's different paths you can take and oh. success is different things, but the biggest thing is to be happy with, with what, you've, what you've done. Oh, so, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, with that really being said, it's hard to believe, and this is only part one, folks, for those that are watching this, because we're gonna I'm going to be live again with you uh, shortly at 8 p.m. for our live election coverage. But it's I want to thank Chris uh, for joining uh, me today for this very interesting, very informative discussion. Chris, as I told you in an email, you are always welcome back as a guest here on this podcast. We always okay, like thank you always like returning guests uh, as a reminder to again as I have again I know I've said this many times throughout this podcast this podcast is going to always stay available here on Facebook Twitter and YouTube immediately for, again or I keep saying immediately but shortly following this broadcast it will also be available to our followers on Instagram in addition to our listening platforms which is new TV in Newton Massachusetts it's also available on Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, and many of your other favorite 
uh, podcasting platforms. Just search for Cultural Connections and you should be able to find it. You want to make sure you're if you you're on the right cultural connections, which will be you'll know it because it'll have this logo that is right behind me uh, in the background here. So look for the logo with the blue uh, and the globe and the words cultural connections, and you'll glad and you'll surely will find it. Stay tuned with us. We're gonna have we are we're planning out further episodes of this po- of our podcast. We expect to have more coming in the coming weeks. Again, thank uh, Chris for joining me today. And if you have any questions or comments. Uh, or have questions that you would like answered that you did not see answered in today's episode, feel free to comment on whatever platform you're watching, or you can email me directly at Brian Ives, that's B-R-I-A-N-I-V-E-S at gmail.com. And I will get your, uh, if you have questions either for Chris or for myself, uh, feel free to send them to me and we'll do our, I'll do my best to get those questions answered for you. Um, And, uh, definitely look forward to future episodes and please feel free uh, to also send suggestions if you have ideas for future episodes. So this has been another episode of the Cultural Connections Podcast. My name is Brian Ives. I am the host and producer of the Cultural Connections Podcast. Stay with us. Thank you for watching this episode of the Cultural Connections Podcast. Be sure to check out our social media pages for more information on each of our podcasts. You can find it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. You can also listen to our podcasts available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many more. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Cultural Connections Podcast.